I know that so many of you might be very familiar with Psalm 32. It's an oft-taught psalm in the Psalter of Israel. I suspect that all of us have heard a message or two, at least, from Psalm 32. This is one of those psalms in which King David repents, confesses. This is what has been commonly called one of the penitential psalms of David. He comes as a penitent. He comes as a sinner in need of repentance before the Lord. Uh, Psalm 51 is like that and a couple of others. And what I thought we would do tonight in preparation for our corporate prayer is to be able to maybe approach Psalm 32 in a bit of a different way. You know, if you've been raised in the church, especially one that endeavored to teach its children by way of catechism, that often a good way to learn uh, by way of question and answers, we could catechize ourselves tonight through Psalm 32. Because I want to give us five questions and answers that Psalm 32 gives us. So if you look at Psalm 32 with me, I want to ask a series of these questions so that we might be taught. That's really all that the word catechize or catechism means. It's just the idea of being taught. And we need to be taught by King David through Psalm 32 this evening. And so we will take a series of questions and answers about both confession and forgiveness of sin from Psalm 32. And the first question is this. Question. What are the effects of unconfessed sin in my life? That's the question. What are the effects of unconfessed sin in my life? And here's the answer. Spiritual and physical punishment. Spiritual and physical punishment. Now, I'm going to go out of order in terms of the way that Psalm 32 is laid out for us, because I believe that that particular question and its answer is given to us directly in verses 3 and 4. Look at verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 32. Now, we don't know, as we begin to teach Psalm 32 tonight, we don't know what the occasion was that David might be referring to. And I say occasion in the singular, it might also be occasions in the plural regarding David's sins. But if it was a particular sin, or maybe a sin of a season in his life, a time in which David was particularly prone and tempted and falling into sin, we don't know. But if it in fact is a reference out of David's life, it could of course be that sin against the Lord with Bathsheba. You remember the story? We'll look at it in a few moments. But if that is what David is referring to, and we assume that he might certainly be referring to that in Psalm 51, but if he's referring to that, the question is still 
demanded an answer. What are the effects of unconfessed sin in my life? Whatever the sin is, whatever I'm dealing with, whatever you're going through, and the answer according to David in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 32 is spiritual and physical punishment. This is what he says, verse 3. For when I kept silent regarding his sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And then you see that term, which we believe to be a musical term, selah which is probably a term that means something like an interlude, a musical interlude. It may also mean an interlude not only in music, but an interlude in in order for us to pause for a moment and consider what's being said. And what David is doing is he's asking the question of himself. He's declaring something. And I put it into a form of a catechetical question. What are the effects of unconfessed sin in my life? And David says, I have both spiritual and physical consequences, punishment in my life. And you know, David is not adverse to talking in this kind of language often in the Psalms. Turn back to Psalm 3. Psalm 3. David uses this language about his bones wasting away, his groaning, God's heavy hand upon him, his strength being dried up. He says, for instance, in Psalm 3, verse 5, these words. Now, this is in the positive, not the negative, but I'll show you a couple of negative ones as well. When when David is fortified spiritually, when he's right with the Lord, when he's in a good season, when he's spiritually vigorous, nothing can defeat him. And he says in Psalm 3 verse 5, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. In other words, from even a physical dimension, when when you're doing well spiritually, when you are maturing, when you are growing in Christ, all kinds of challenges can come your way and you might look at them and you might do a little bit of a laugh or chuckle because you know what its intent is to do. It's to bring you down. It's to discourage you. It's to bring you low. But you're in a good season spiritually. You're confessing your sin to the Lord. You are in right relationships with the Lord and with others. Uh, You're praying regularly. You're reading Scripture. You are having rich fellowship with others. And David, in that same kind of season of life, says, I'm laying down and I'm sleeping just like a baby. I woke again. The Lord sustains me. I'm not going to be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. I'm okay. I, I have right now a spiritual equilibrium about me. 
That's positive when you want to go to sleep. That's a good thing when you can have rest in the tumult on every side. But that's not always the case with David. Look at Psalm 6, just a couple removed from this uh, spiritual equilibrium. Notice what he says, does David in Psalm 6, 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. This is apparently not such a good season. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? And then he asks the Lord in verse 4, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Yes, with every season of spiritual tranquility, we might also at times be against uh, a season of great instability, right? And that's what David is saying here. Look at Psalm 22. Psalm 22. You know, of course, that a portion of this psalm is some of the very words that Jesus himself uttered from the cross. And King David says about himself, Psalm twenty-two, fourteen. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. That's some hard time. Look at Psalm 31. Psalm 31, verse 9. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Now, if you were to survey all of the Psalms in which David is talking about rough days, rough seasons. Some of those are directly related to the idea that David is being vigorously pursued by armies to do him in, right? And he says, Lord, deliver me, deliver us, deliver your people. And so he can have, as we do, anguish of soul because you think you're just about to be done in. But there are also times, and Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are among them, where David is not talking particularly about a pursuing army. He's talking about the matter of his own sin. And Psalm 32 says exactly that. That's why Proverbs 17.22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. You ever had an experience as I have when you are out of it spiritually? It's like you're uh, 
bones are drying up within you. You're being caved in on. That's what David is experiencing. I mean, when you're hiding your sin, when you're not confessing your sin, there are, to be sure, deleterious effects of what sin does to a person. And regardless of what kind of sin it is, all sin in compounding ways, especially unconfessed sin upon your life, will bring a weight upon your shoulders like the burden upon the Christian of the Pilgrim's Progress, right? It is a burden on your back. And there are consequences both now and forever if it isn't dealt with. And so you may ask the question, how do I deal with it? What's the answer? What's the answer? Here's the second question. Second question in our Q&A, in our catechism. How do you receive forgiveness of sin from God? I mean, I've got this, I've got this burden on my back. I've got this sin in my life. I'm, I'm in a bad way. I've done some very sinful things. I've got this crushing weight upon me. It's as though my, my body is wasting away. I mean, so much so that I'm groaning, David says, all day long. And, and your, your hand, your hand of affliction, uh, your hand of consequences, uh, your hand of judgment is heavy upon me. My strength is dried up like the heat of summer. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to say. So how do you receive forgiveness of sin from God when you're in that bad way? Here's the answer. By genuinely confessing your sin to God. By genuinely confessing your sin to God. Verse 5. Psalm 32, 5. Here's what I did, he says. I mean, my, my, my body's wasting away. My groaning is all day long. Uh, your hand of conviction is heavy upon me. Uh, my, my very strength is being dried up. Uh, it's being sapped by the summer heat. I don't know if I can go on. Uh, I'm, I'm in this... Uh, interlude of my life where things aren't going well. Uh, I've been hiding my sin. Uh, I don't want to confess it. Uh, I don't want to be found out. I'm virtually almost undone. What do you do? Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you. David's talking to God. He's talking to the Lord. And he says to Yahweh, Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. If you can't pause... In a spiritual interlude like this, something's desperately wrong. 
I mean, this is the only way out, folks. This is the only way out. I mean, if, if, if you're in a spiritually vexing position, you don't know what to do, you don't know how to respond, and you're keeping silent about your sin, and your, your bones are wasting away, and you're groaning, and God's hand of chastisement, His conviction, His judgment is heavy upon you, and you're dried up in strength, and you don't know what to do, and you know it's because you are keeping silent about the sin that you know is in your heart, and that you know by way of your actions you have caused great damage the only, the only way to go, the only place to go, the only, the only direction to go is up. I acknowledge my sin to you. And I didn't cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and that's exactly what he did. You know, there, there's something about David in these psalms and elsewhere in the historical narratives of the Old Testament that make him so frustrating and so lovable all at the same time? Isn't it so? I mean, you're reading along and you're even saying to yourself, David, David, don't do that! Why? You're you're going down the wrong road! And then he says, you're right, I did. And I'll confess my sins to the Lord. And you say, that's the right answer. Man, I love you. Because you're doing the right thing. I acknowledge my sin to you, God, and I did not cover my iniquity. This is a prayer, isn't it? This is a prayer to the Lord. I'm praying to you, and here's what I'm saying to you. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. I mean, King David, if this is a reference to his sin with Bathsheba and the conspiring, if you remember, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, if, if you remember, he conspired to have Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed in battle, but it was really David who did it. He arranged the circumstances in which he, David, wouldn't be found out about being the adulterer that he was. And so he compounded his sin by seeing that Uriah would be put on the front line so that he would certainly perish. So he's got a heart full of sin and wickedness and deception and evil. And he doesn't immediately confess it. In fact, a lot of commentators say that there's at least a year between the time of David's sin in this way and being confronted by Nathan the prophet. Maybe he's talking in Psalm 32 about this year's time. Maybe maybe that's why his bones are wasting away. Maybe that's why he's considering himself as one who is drying up in the fever heat of summer. And what he needs is 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, 
God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what, that's what David needs. And, and that other penitential psalm, Psalm 51, look over at Psalm 51. This is, this is what David endeavors to do. I mean, if you want to answer the question, how do you receive forgiveness of sin from God? By genuinely confessing it to God. And here's what he says. Verse 3, For I know my transgressions, in the plural now, and my sin is ever before me, against you and you only. That means against you chiefly have I sinned, Lord, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in the truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So here's what he says, here's what he needs, here's where he goes, here's the answer. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Now that's a turnabout from my bones wasting away, right? Oh, you've broken them all right, Lord, because of my sin. Would you, would you repair me? Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create a, in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Now that's a man who if there is a reference here or any other number of sins because he was a sinful man, king though he was, a a man after God's own heart though he was, he was also someone whose feet were made of clay and who sinned against the Lord and at times was proud and arrogant and who even at times when he should have been confessing his sin was proud and arrogant so as to hide his sin and who was receiving the chastising elements of the Lord circumstantially in his life and providentially God was bringing him low to the point where he says, I've got to to acknowledge my sin and so I do that in your presence. And what I'm going to do is I'm not going to cover my iniquity anymore. I'm not going to try to hide it. I'm not going to try to push it under the rug. I will say to you in honesty and clarity and in transparency, I will confess my transgressions to you, Lord. That's what I'm going to do. Even the the idea of confess... It means to say the same thing that God says about my sin. I agree with you, God. That's who I am. That's what I did. These were the consequences. I mean, before you pillow your head tonight, or at some point in the next few days, go back and read 2 Samuel 11 and 12. I mean, you you can just read it in a few minutes, and it seems like it's uh, fairly quick. But put a little chronology in there and think about a man languishing for a year or so and then have that same man be confronted by the prophet 
And that prophet gives him a story and illustration. And David becomes very offended about the illustration because in the illustration, the man who is doing such a thing in that illustration needs to be severely punished. And Nathan the prophet says, you are that man. And the, and the finger in the chest, spiritually speaking, at times might be the Lord God Himself. Who says, Lance, you are that man. Put your name in there. See, that's the danger of hiding sin. That's the danger of unconfessed sin. At any one point, you and I could have the finger of God's consequences pointed into our chest so that He is saying, you are that person. Ole Palmer Robertson, commentator on this Psalm 32, says this, How did David get relief from his miserable condition? What pathway did he follow to find a cure? Not by seeking a cure for himself, but by being confronted by God and His truth. That's Nathan the prophet. He he was the one who was speaking for God, right? He was the one who was the mouthpiece for God. God was speaking His truth through the prophet, saying what He was saying directly from God's mouth through His tongue to the ears of David. A year later, Nathan the prophet pointed his finger directly at the king. You are the man, he declared. You have committed adultery with Bathsheba. And as for Uriah, God knows he wasn't just another casualty in the course of the battle. Though you never laid a hand on him, you are his murderer. Are you guilty? Palmer Robertson says. Are you the man? The woman, does God's accusing finger point back at you? Here's Palmer Robertson's response. Of course you are. Of course I am. Daily, a thought, word, and deed, you break God's law. By doing what you should not have done and failing to do what you should have done, you are guilty. You will be miserable until you follow the pathway to pardon. The first step is not yours, but God's. He sees to it that your bones feel as if they are aging. He weighs you down with His hand on you. He makes your spirit seem as if it is melting under the punishing rays of the summer sun. Then God speaks to you by His Word and Spirit. Make no mistake, it is His work of grace that makes you aware of your sin. You know, that was a grace from Nathan the prophet. It was, it was grace. Just think what would happen to David if he continued to languish in his unconfessed sin. It was actually the grace of God to come when God did through the prophet and confront him so that he would no longer languish in that unconfessed sin. 
Palmer Robertson says, but the next step, after God by His Word and Spirit shows us our sin, but the next step is yours. After denial must come declaration. You must affirm your sin to the Lord. Make it fully known to Him. Stop trying to rationalize your guilt. Confess your wrongdoing, all of them to the Lord as you confess them. Remember that by God's grace, your sin can be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Only because He has shed His precious blood in suffering the punishment that sinners deserve can you come to Him. But because of His death, you can be assured of the covering of your sin. Boy, that's the good news. That's the good news we desperately need. And that's really the answer to the question. How can I deal with my sin? How do I work toward the forgiveness of my sin? And the answer is to genuinely confess it to the Lord. And here's a third question. What is the answer to my having confessed all my sin to the Lord? Well, what's the answer? What do I receive from the Lord once I've confessed all my sin to Him? Here's the answer. Untold blessing, both now and forever. That's the answer. Untold blessing. That's all. <laughs> That's all. You say, well, well, What's in it for me if I, if I take that step that I know I need to take, if I take the, the step that's hard, it's arduous, it's, it's scary, uh, it's fearful, if I take the step of confession and, and if I go out on that limb, if I walk the plank, if I, if I jump off the board... What's in it for me? You say, well, that's, that's your focus on yourself. Now, don't worry about that. You just worry about doing what's right. Well, yes, that's true, but we still have those fears. We still have those questions. Not, not necessarily even in a self-focused way, not in a self-absorbed way. We just want to know, I mean, what's the difference between a person who hides their iniquity and refuses to confess it versus someone who genuinely confesses it. We just want to know what's on the other side of that confession. The forgiveness of sin, yes, but what else? And here's the answer. Look at verses 1 and 2. Blessed, blessed. We might even be able to translate this enviable enviable is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy. Giddy. Enthusiastically overcome by joy. Because my transgression is forgiven, my sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And you know, David covers really the, the bases with what he says about sin. Notice he uses three different words here. Blessed is the one whose transgression 
is forgiven. Uh, I transgressed the law of God. Uh, I stepped out of the, the right path and I chose to do it and I transgressed the revealed will of God to go my own way. And then he says, whose sin is covered. I missed the mark. I, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And then he says, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. So he uses the word transgression, he uses the word sin, and he uses the word iniquity. And then to top it off, he says, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Look, I'm not going to be deceitful about this. I'm not going to hide this. I'm not going to sort of uh, do a a two-step where I say, you know, I, I know it was bad, but you know, it really wasn't that bad. And I know I had some consequences, but I didn't have the kind of consequences that so-and-so had over there because he sinned a lot worse than I did. David, he's not doing any of that. He's saying, I confess my sin to you, and here's what I did. I talked about my transgression. I talked about my sin. I talked about my iniquity, and I had no deceit when I, would, when I was just honestly just shooting out all of the filth of my heart and life. And what do you get for that? Untold blessing. It says twice, blessed is the one. Blessed is the man. Blessing. Being enviable. You are clean. You're clean. When you're genuinely confessing your sins to the Lord and when you're not hiding anything, and when you're exposing everything to the full light of the sun, untold blessings come your way. Now, you may have to experience some of the consequences of such sin, sure. But if you confess your sin and do the right thing, and speak of your transgression and your sin and your iniquity without any deceit, it's always going to be better than even the consequences that you'll have to endure. There's no question. And if you put it in the language of Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And oh, by the way, I love Proverbs 28.13. He who hides his sin will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. You'll receive mercy. I like to say it like this. The things we cover, you know, that sin that we try to hide, uh, that, that transgression we attempt to minimize, uh, the deceit of trying to convince ourselves and others that it's really not that bad, all of that, if I try to cover my sin Proverbs 28.13 says, God will uncover it. That's not good. If I cover, He uncovers. Oh, but if, the latter part of verse 13, if I uncover, if I confess, and if I forsake, I'll find compassion. I'll receive mercy. He covers. So the things that I cover, He uncovers. But the things I uncover, He covers. Boy, that's a happy day, isn't it? That's a blessed time. No wonder he says, blessed, blessed, blessed. And by the way, another blessing which comes to you is that you're free of that nagging guilt. 
the kind of gnawing sense that you know you're hiding things, which if people knew, you would be totally humiliated, you would be condemned, you would be seeing potentially the loss of everything you hold dear, all because you are refusing to confess to the Lord that you are what you are. So here's what I say, Lord, I'm a filthy, wretched sinner who does not merit any good gifts from you, only condemnation and judgment, but instead, through your full-hearted confession of sin, David, as my model and my example, I, like you, I'm bringing everything out in the open so that God and others will see the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and as I confess it, I fall upon my knees in repentance and faith. And I confess to God that all of my good works are like filthy rags and I just throw myself on the mercy of God. That's confession. That's saying the same thing that God is saying. You say, well, what do I get out of it? Oh, nothing but eternal life. Nothing but the forgiveness of sin. Nothing but blessings untold. So even if I do have to experience the consequences of it, I still have forgiveness. I still have life everlasting. I still have the blessing of knowing that I have a clean conscience. Oh, when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Question number four. Question and answer number four. When shall I make this confession of my sin and seek my deliverance from it? When? That's the question. When shall I do it? When shall I make this confession of my sin and seek my deliverance from it? Here's the answer. If you've not already done so, do it now. Do it now. I don't know everybody here. I don't know where you are spiritually. I don't know what you may be hiding. You may have a totally clear, clean conscience and you're hiding nothing because you've already done this. But there may be some of you who have not. You've not yet trusted in Jesus Christ and His righteousness and His righteousness alone for your salvation. And what you do, here's, here's the plan. The plan is that the Apostle Paul says, now, today is the day of salvation. It's right now. Don't delay. Don't put it off. You may have put it off a thousand times. You may have said, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. And here's David's answer. Do it now. Look at verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly, everyone who aspires to godliness, here's, here's what they ought to do. They ought to offer prayer to you, notice the time sequence, at a time when you may be found. Do you know that there's a time where he will not be found? You say, no, no, no. I mean, as long as I have breath, there's always time. On whose time frame? I mean, that's why Proverbs chapter 1 is, is, is haunting Proverbs chapter 1 talks about the ones who are in essence saying, no, no, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow I'll grab this wisdom. Yeah, yeah, tomorrow. You know what Proverbs 1 says? 
Verse 20, wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. This is Lady Wisdom, and she's crying out for people to come and gain her wisdom, right? God is personified as Lady Wisdom. And at the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? It's not just someone with an IQ deficiency. Simple persons are fools. Foolish people are unconverted. They're unbelievers. That's what it's meant to convey. How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Here's this uh, sort of lilting voice, uh, maybe even a screaming voice at times saying, come, come to my house, come to wisdom. I plead with you to come. Uh, I will pour my spirit, the spirit of wisdom out to you. I will make my words known to you. Verse 24, because I have called. I've called. There's a general call. And yet the last part of that verse says, and you refuse to listen. And you stretched, and I stretched out my hands, and no one heeded. And because, verse 25, you've ignored all my counsel, and you would not have any of my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish anguish come upon you, then they will call me. See, they're in trouble now. I mean, they're they're really in trouble. Oh, see, I kind of went past the point that even I thought was possible, but but now that I'm there, now you've got to help me. See, now you're, you're even almost in a sense demanding what God has already been demanding of you. Hear my wisdom. Heed my wisdom. And that's why the Bible says, and God's Spirit will not strive with man forever. There will come a time. I don't know when that time is. You don't know when that time is. But you better answer before that time is. You say, well, if I don't know when, how can I do it? Do it today. Do it today. You'll call upon me, but I will not answer. You will seek me diligently, but you will not find me because you hated knowledge and you did not choose the fear of the Lord. And you had none of my counsel and you despised all my reproof. And Therefore you shall eat the fruit of your own way. You, sh- you shall be filled with your own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away. The complacency of fools destroys them But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. And the timing on that is now, now, now. And this is what David says. If you aspire to godliness, pray for a time when the Lord may be found. And then he says this, surely in the rush of great waters, here's the flood. Maybe this is almost likened to the flood of Noah, right? The flood in Noah's day. Look, there were great waters. And you remember, he was a preacher of righteousness for how long? 120 years. 120 years. And they were saying, you're crazy. What are you doing building this this thing? This thing you call the ark. You you think that what you're doing is going to save you and the seven members of your family? You're out of it, pal. 
You have no idea what you're talking You're crazy. And he wasn't crazy after that time, was he? And this is what David is saying. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. And then he says directly to the Lord, you are a hiding place for me. I just, I just think of that ark, don't you? Hiding place. You surround me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And then it even gets better. God, taking in a sense the first person, here's what God says about the person who comes in the confession of their sin, seeking forgiveness. Here's what God says. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. You know, that's why the Apostle Paul says today is the day of salvation. That's why Isaiah 55.1 says, Ho, come to the waters and drink freely. But come now. Don't delay. If you want to be a part of, a part of the godly, if you want to have a hiding place, if you want to have a preservation from trouble, if you want deliverance, if you're like a wild stallion and a, and a bucking mule who refuses to be trained and subdued, you'll be forever judged. I mean, this is, this is Psalm 32 in a new way, isn't it? Last question. Last question. What are the only alternatives in this life? And what's the only alternative? What is it? What are they? Is there more than one? Here they are. Here's the answer. The sorrows of the wicked or the rejoicing of the righteous. That's really the only alternatives. And if you ask me, one of those is really not an alternative at all. And, and yet, there are people in this world that would say, look, I'll take the sorrows of the wicked over against the, the joy, the rejoicing of the righteous. Yeah, because I'm going to live it up, fella. I'm going to grab all the gusto I can because when I die, there's absolute nothingness. Right? You've heard them. They're out there. They say it. Look, we're all just going to be puffed into nothingness. There's no future. Just live it up here and now. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you, you die. Well, David says in verses 10 and 11, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. What surrounds him? What, what surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord? Steadfast love. The mercy of God. His never-ending covenant love. That's, that's the alternative. The other is a ghastly, hideous alternative. He says, be glad in the Lord. 
and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. That's the only alternative. That's the only answer. What are the only alternatives in this life? Well, it's, it's the sorrows of the wicked or the rejoicing of the righteous. You choose. And when you do, it will work its work of determining your eternal destiny. David, thank you for your sermon. Let's pray. Father, what a what a sermon. Truly our thanks does go to you, David, for the song, for the psalm that you have challenged us to understand and to apply. Lord, if there are those among us who want to confess, give them blessing. If they want to choose not to hide their sin, their iniquity, give them righteous rejoicing. Yourself as their hiding place. Your person as their preservation. Your salvation as their deliverance. Father, may it be so. May you produce in us through the confession of our sin, a covering of our iniquities, through the blood-bought person of Jesus Christ upon that cross for His atoning work on our behalf so that we would rejoice all the days of our life on earth and rejoice perfectly thereafter. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.